start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, junk food ads under the spotlight. AFL TV rights at the finish line. TikTok's Aussie revenues revealed. And the truth about working from home. Unmade. Morning, Damo. How was your weekend? Morning, Tim. It was filled with kids' sports, kids' parties, and kids. So, fascinating weekend. What about you? Something, well, I'll come to that in a second, but something I'm just curious about with kids' parties, because, mm. like, by the time I had um, stepchildren in my life, they were a bit older. What's the politics? Do you have to, like, make polite chit chat with all the other adults, or mm. do you just get to kind of drop them and run off? There's a lot of politics involved in it, as, as parents listening uh, of all varieties will understand. Uh, we've learned a few things over the last few months. My eldest is in year one. Um, so we're still at the, the learning phase of this. Uh, number one, there are parents you love to talk to and parents who are very quiet and a bit more difficult to talk to. Number two, when a party happens, five or six parties happen and it all happens at the same time and then the next four weeks, nothing happens. Always works like that. Number three, now I might put this one to you, Tim. If twins have a birthday party and your kid is only friends with one of those children, do you get a present for both kids or just the one kid? Or you get something that they can share, like a big box of chocolates and you write both of their names on it. Good answer. Well done. Very, very well done. I could have used that advice. <laughs> will, the, uh, will the parents thank me for bringing chocolates though? Uh, no, <laughs> probably not. I would have maybe substituted chocolates for Lego perhaps, but um, – I think you're on the right track. You've probably got something there. But uh, tell me you had a more interesting weekend than I did. Well, not necessarily more interesting, but I certainly felt proud of it. Yesterday, for the first time, I made onion soup. Congratulations. Which is very, very labor intensive. There's a lot of caramelization involved. But um, wow, I would say two hours of cooking and 10 minutes of eating. But I was very pleased with the result. So um, the fact that that was perhaps the highlight of my weekend um, says something about how boring I've become. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think onion soup is is false advertising in a sense that when you say onion soup, what more could it be than a bunch of onions and some liquid? But it is very labor intensive, isn't it? Mate, it's all about getting the right liquid and the right onions. Anyway, let's not spend too long on recipes. Um, speaking of children and such things, uh, where should we start this week? Well, why don't we start this week uh, with a really interesting story out of the Sydney Morning Herald uh, from Dana Daniels, who's reporting on uh, Sophie Scomps, the independent uh, who represents McKellar, and now she, uh, who, and she was formerly a, a GP, uh, she's uh, campaigning for a lot more, uh, I guess, control over advertising to children, particularly in the, the junk food area. So interesting when you said I'd get uh, the kids a box of chocolates. Um, but we'll move on from that very quickly. Uh, look, some of the stats from uh Food advertising is that uh, com- food companies in, in Australia spend more than $550 million per annum uh, on advertising. And Dr. Scomps is, is very uh, aware and wants the rest of Australia to be very aware about 
the relationship between junk food brands and how they're uh, getting in front of children. So a few examples, uh, McDonald's and the Monopoly uh, partnership that they've had, uh, KFC and the cricket, for example. If you look at uh, the supercars, there's the Coca-Cola car, there's a Red Bull team. Uh, now, essentially what she's saying is there needs to be a ban on junk food advertising uh, to kids uh, to address uh, the Australian obesity pandemic. And, and she's warning that our health system won't be able to cope in the future. So either we, we stop the advertising now or we look at uh, boosting our hospital systems, uh, essentially. And where she is really focusing in on is uh, the, the partnerships with sport, especially at a, at a more junior level, um, as well as then the advertising during primetime TV. So before we focused a lot on kids' TV, but the reality is uh, kids still sit down with their parents uh, and watch primetime TV a lot. And a lot of those uh, ads for fast food and, and junk food are, are shown during that time. Uh, now, you know, she said in this article, uh, and I quote, we have a choice. We either look at uh, prevention now or we start to expand our, our hospital system. Uh, and now it, it comes at a time where just recently in, in March, a, a national obesity strategy uh, was launched and the restriction of uh, unhealthy food advertising was a key measure there. Uh, but interestingly, neither major party has, has committed to any reforms and there's still, uh, I guess, uh, uh, an insistence that the self-regulation via ad standards and, and the AANA uh, is still uh, the best way of doing things. Certainly, Michelle Rowland has said that um, kids require more protection, but there are no plans uh, to ditch the current system uh, of self-regulation uh, that we have. Uh, and now, another alarming uh, statistic uh, that was uh, shared in this article was that uh, the, the average five to eight-year-old, uh, of which my oldest son is in that bracket, uh, is exposed to uh, 827 junk food ads uh, per year. So I can't help but think there's uh, probably a, a fairly decent debate at the very least that uh, needs to go on from here. And one of the kind of interesting things about that then is that this would be such a challenge to the way things work as well for the industry where it does get to set its own rules so it's a bit of a game with the australian association of national advertisers that they have to be sort of strict with their members no doubt with a bit of an eye to what would happen with legislation if they don't so there is there is a quick service restaurant code specifically within the rules of advertising and of course that includes um not targeting children certain times of day when they can't show uh not promoting unhealthy lifestyles to children but of course as you say the way around the way they get around it is um uh sporting codes where of course um people of all ages um tune in and i suppose the other question damien is as an independent, there is quite a big barrier to that becoming um, legislation. You know, it would have to be when uh, one of the major parties needs um, Sophie Scomp's uh, vote for something else that maybe if it, this became her big campaign, the price of doing a deal would be what gets it across. But um, 
with the way Parliament looks at the moment, I'm not certain how likely that is. No, agreed. It, it's really the, the start, hopefully, of a, a, a broader discussion that, that takes a I guess a bigger presence uh, in, in the media. I, I don't. Uh, I don't imagine it's going to lead to any sort of regulation in in the near future. But having experienced it myself and, and seeing how my kids react to uh, fast food branding, for example, and one of the uh, one of the uh, I guess excuses that these brands use is we're just putting our logo. Uh, on you, you know the the, the sporting um, uniforms etc um, you know the kids react to that they know the logos that they don't know necessarily a Big Mac but they know the golden arches and that's what they relate to so it, it's it's fascinating but good that the discussion is happening now well I guess um, you know your to your, to your point it used to be called pester power is that still a thing Oh, P- Pester Power is certainly still a thing and, and maybe a, an even bigger thing uh, than what it was. But uh, I'm just going to end on, on one very quick point is I remember back in my day, I was actually part of the McDonald's squad, uh, which was a tennis squad. So we've probably come a, a little bit further than, than what we may have thought in, in 20 years. Next, a big week in TV. Unmade. Lots going on in TV, Tim. Uh, why don't we start with uh, the AFL again? Yeah, there's some coverage uh, in both the Australian and the Sydney Morning Herald slash The Age. We're, we're getting towards the pointy end now of the AFL rights deal, which, as you will call, because we seem to be talking about it a lot at the moment, the free-to-air rights are held by Seven and then the pay TV rights by Foxtel and its streaming service, KO. Um, so previously we've reported that um, 10 and its owner Paramount might be putting in a bid of about $3 billion over five years, so about $600 million a year. That was reported, reported exclusively in Australian a few weeks back by John Stensholt. Um He's now reporting exclusively in the Australian that the bid was less than 500 million, so about 100 million uh, less, which is interesting because A, it means that the first story was either wrong or there was a change of heart before the bid was actually put in. Um, And um, secondly, that wouldn't necessarily be enough to knock seven and foxtel out of the action um and i guess the other sort of part of this story comes when we turn to the sydney morning held in the age where beverly mcgarvey the um content boss over at paramount including 10 um has talked a little bit and as usual there people are pretty guarded during the bidding but she does say some of those numbers are plucked from thin air and don't really mean anything without context like is that and she means 600 million for 20 years there's nothing we're going to talk about right now most of the speculation that we've read doesn't feel super accurate so certainly looks like the Australian a few weeks back took a bit of a flyer when it went for that 600 million number. Um, now, what, as I say, what could have been accurate could have been that that was what they were thinking about doing, but certainly it would seem that um, that's not where they got to. So 
where we are at is that everybody have their indicative bids in. So that gives everyone a sense of where they're roughly where they're going to land, gives AFL a chance to get everyone sharp to sharpen their pencils a bit before they actually put in more binding bids, which would be the next stage. I have to say, I had a little bit of a laugh with that quote, 600 million over 20 years would be the deal of the century. But um, there were some other very interesting numbers that uh, were released uh, today around uh, streaming uh, in the AFR, Tim. Yeah, this is um, this is uh, being reported from Think TV, which is the industry body. Um, they've released some data on the amount of advertising revenue that the BVOD or broadcast video on demand platforms are bringing in. So we're talking about the likes of 7 Plus, 9 Now, 10 Play. Um, Foxtel Go actually, of course, has advertising on it. Um, and um, even KO has some ads on. So the, 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 there's a there's an interesting graph in the AFR, which, which does show that BVOD is the fastest growing segment. So uh, 53.3% growth in the amount of advertising revenue that's coming in. Now, that comes against a backdrop, though, of, you know, being, even with that growth, I, much less than um, half a billion dollars a year, um, which, hey, you know, some would say half a billion dollars is still quite a lot. But that's in comparison to, for instance, you know, Metro Free to Air um, is almost $3 billion a year. And if you look at the sort of total TV market as a whole, um, apart from SBS, then that's well over $4 billion. So it's still a small slice of um, a big pie. But there is a suggestion that, hey, within another year or two, I think there'll be more money coming in in advertising revenue from um, from BVOD than there will in the regional free-to-air market, for instance. Now, speaking of uh, the different markets, uh, last week's ratings, Tim, a, a bit of an update on, on where we sit there? Yeah, that's an interesting one. We'll do the same thing we did last week, which is we've got um, – We've, we've, we've got the Oztam um, data open in front of us as prepared by Nine in their end of the week report. Um, one of the really obvious things that leaps out is it was such a week for seven, thanks to the Commonwealth Games. And, and, you know, that kind of meant that 10 and Nine stayed out of their way because obviously they knew it was coming on, you know, pretty much every night of the week, um, seven, one, um, however you measure it, you know, whether it was in total people, whether it was in 2554. Um, so that, uh, that was interesting. Um, when you go to the top 10 TV shows, um, gosh, you might remember last time we talked about, it, there was a lot of 10 in there. This time there's a lot of seven in there. Um, the biggest night, certainly in overnight ratings for seven was, um, the fifth day, um, the, the, the nighttime session, which, um, 772,000 Metro, um, viewers, uh, stayed up late, um, which is a pretty impressive number. Um, and then when you kind of look at what that means for channel performance for the year, well, um, all of a sudden, having had some really um, great numbers recently, comparatively for 10, 10 really fell back away again um, in the week just gone. So if you look at sort of total network performance for 10, um, just back below 20%, um, whereas for nine, it was just above 30%. 
and for seven, 49.3%. So, um, yeah, Commonwealth Games does show the power of live international sport when there are Australians involved. A great week for seven. When there are Australians involved and Australians winning. Uh, but there's a big week in TV coming up as well, Tim. I uh, tuned in last night to one of the uh, blockbusters. That's my dad joke of uh, of the morning. Uh, but uh, how do you see the week ahead in TV? Well, yeah. Um, so last night we saw on nine, The Block. On seven, The Return of My Kitchen Rules. On 10, The Masked Singer. And um, even on um, on the ABC, there were spicks and specs as well. So there was a there was a lot going on. Um, now, something I'm able to do, and I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to talk about who provides this. Um, but anyway, a a, um, a a streaming player has an overview of how numbers are doing. They can provide a little live update of what's going on on their service. Um, which is sort of indicative only because it's a, a small sample. But looking at those numbers, um, the block looks like it did very well. You know, they that 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 was some way ahead of my kitchen rules, which was again some way ahead of the masked singer, which was probably only about half of what the block was. And then Spicks and Specs was was way, way behind that. So that's indicative only and, you know, we won't we won't know the actual overnight ratings for Monstam um, uh, until a couple of hours after we record this, but if that's to go by, then um, it was a it was a big return for the block. So all of that hype over um, people dropping out, etc., um, certainly looks like it worked well for it. Next, a big week in ad tech. Unmade. Moving on to tech, Tim, an interesting piece of data about TikTok in the AFR today. Yeah, this is, as you say, the Australian Financial Review. They've been having a look at the uh, accounts lodged with ASIC, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, which is one of the few places where you can get Australian data from the companies which aren't listed locally. Um, Big jump in revenue, which is says you know says in the macro quite a lot about why facebook's and meta sees tiktok as such a threat a 220 percent jump in revenue locally to um they, they they report in us dollars um so about 50 million us dollars which is more than 70 million dollars australian that makes TikTok suddenly one of the biggest media players in Australia. I mean, we obviously saw it coming in terms of attention, but that's the confirmation that they are writing the revenue dollars as well. That's a lot of advertising revenue that's coming out of other places. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and one of the other things that was mentioned there was uh, the employment expenses have increased substantially as well uh, from US twenty three point two million uh, up, uh, sorry, to twenty three point two million up from six point two. So, big expansion there for TikTok. But uh, Tim, you mentioned Meta before, and uh, while we're on the topic, uh, can you tell me if there's any sort of updates with the news media bargaining code? Because whenever I think Meta, I think news media bargaining code. 
Yeah, there is. There's more going on than usual in the Monday papers today. I think it feels like you know there's a lot of ground being covered. So over at the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, um, as um, Zoe Samios puts it, Meta missing in action at crucial Treasury talks. So these are the talks that were set up, the sort of roundtable talks, talk about the progress of the. Well, it's not quite the news media bargaining code because nobody's been designated yet. Let's call it the I can't believe it's not the news media bargaining code. Um, And the examination that sort of seems to suggest that um, uh, Alphabet and its company Google have been pretty sincere in its dealings with publishers. um, And again, they showed up at... um, uh, at, 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 at this meeting, but um, but in these roundtables, no one from from Meta came. Now, uh, sources, as uh, Zoe Samuels puts it, say it was nothing personal. They had a late invite and there were clashes. But as she puts it, it's hard to believe that not a single local executive could find the time to attend the gathering that has implications for their Facebook business model globally. And it also comes in the backdrop that um, there's been plenty of um, movements by the company in other parts of the world to kind of denewsify itself, which presumably would um, let it walk away by just you know not uh, not having having news content um, if it were designated. So we're definitely seeing that um, that kind of um, move, move on. Um, and then there's one thing which I must admit does just confuse me a little bit in the article as a somebody who's seen the work of sub-editors and lawyers before it feels to me like a paragraph's been taken out because there's just a bit of a random line that says but local head of news partnerships andy hunter is not being subtle about the future but then we don't hear from andy hunter so i don't know what he's not being subtle about but i'm very intrigued that would have been a great opportunity to get him on the, the phone on early hours of uh, a Monday morning to get him to finish off that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you being subtle? <laughs> Come on, Andy, spit it out. But uh, We've got to move on quite quickly because there's so much to talk about. Uh, one thing which we should uh, bring up was uh, something that happened late last week and it uh, – kind of coincides with the US, which we are just talking about before with, with Meta, but uh, one of uh, the big Australian ad execs is heading back to the US uh, as part of uh, Mutiny now. Yeah, this was a story broken in the Australian. So Mutiny, who uh, regular listeners to this podcast might remember, I um, had a chat to the founders of um, a few weeks back. So this is a like, really interesting technology player that helps brands understand better um, how effective or otherwise their advertising spend is across different channels. So yeah, John Sintras joining as a president US and multinational for Mutiny. Now, one of the things that really intrigues me about this is it's a return to the US for for John who went over before for what was... um, through no fault of his own, um, not the greatest of experiences. So for a long time, he'd um, been the local boss of um, what was then known as the Starcom Media Vest Group and is now, 
oh, it's publicist. But to be honest, I get so confused about their different agency brands. Even now, I can't say which bit Starcom Starcom MediaVest used to be. But anyway, um, he was, um, you know, one of the absolute sort of doyens of the media agency scene at the time, but also had a big footprint globally as well because he was chair of the global product committee for Starcom. Um, But then it kind of surprised the market. And um, when Henry Tager left Australia to run IPG Media Brands, he invited uh, John Sintras, amongst various other Australians, to join him um, as president of global business development. Now, Tager's stay, for various political reasons and others, didn't last very long. And John was a bit of a casualty of that as well. So he lasted less than two years in New York on that experience. Um, Then came back to Australia. And I must admit, I sort of assumed that was the end of his overseas adventures. You know, he was maybe, maybe took a little while to find his place. So he, he went over to SBS and only lasted a few months there as chief audience and content officer. Um, He was then very briefly, um, a CEO of something called Yango. I'm looking at his LinkedIn profile now and I can't even remember what Yango is now. Um, he was then briefly chief growth officer at Alex Bank, which is one of those sort of uh, neo banks, um, which again didn't quite come through. And then moved in, into consultancy with, um, I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce it Dissidium. So it's spelled D I S C. I-D-I-U-M. So it could be discidium, but given that the dis comes from disruption, I'm going to go with dissidium, which is um, it's not it's not quite up there with consultia consultio from uh, Peep Show, but it's in 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 that sort of world. Um, but yeah, now moving into this new role as um, president of Mutiny, which will um, Mutiny is U.S. and multinational, which will put him back in the North Americas again. Um, and uh, very much a big beast. And I I think for the market locally, because John's very well liked, I think people would be quite pleased for him. Coming up next, what bosses really think about working from home. Unmade. And finally today, work-life balance. The truth is the bosses hate it when you work from home. Here's what Lara Tom from Guzman and Gomez had to say about it on stage at Advertising Week. I really admire smart, ambitious people. So for me in senior leadership, if your first question is, can I work from home, you're probably out the door. (laughs) And not in a bad way. I respect anyone who wants flexible working and whatever. It's just more, I need you on a journey with me at the moment. And if that's your priority, it's probably not the right fit. It's not to say you're not the right person or you're not a great person. It's just not the right fit for us. Tim, that's putting it a bit more bluntly than most people will have done in the past. Do you think that's what a a lot of people in the industry are actually thinking? You know, it's funny because I I have caught up, um, you know, as I say, I I was in Sydney for a few days, timed around advertising week. Yeah, I had a chance to catch up with a few agency bosses, including people from both media agencies and creative agencies. There is a real feel that they want their staff back and some more than others are already insisting on it. And I think agencies actually are insisting on it a bit more than most. Um, and it's not just that selfish thing of I want people around or the, you know, the kind of the for the good of the business of the culture. A big issue is it's probably in the interests of 
less experienced staff to be around people who can teach them. Um, and that's probably the biggest single thing is it's just hard to learn by Zoom. You know, um, it's possible, but it's hard. You know, the, just those little things you pick up by osmosis because of a conversation you overhear. Um, so, you know, I, I I think there are a fair few bosses who are quite nervous about saying it as stridently because um, everyone wants to be seen as a good work-life balance employer. But the truth is, I think a lot of people do think that on the executive side. Now, you were in the audience for this session, Tim. One thing I just wanted to quickly ask was, uh, did you get the sense that this was in relation to coming back full-time or was uh, Lara and potentially others, were they happy to consider uh, you know, part-time remote working? Look, it didn't get to the detail, but the way I would have interpreted it is broadly it's we want you to be mainly in the office, um, which doesn't say people can't do the occasional day for the good reason or whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah, my, my, my sense is the push was for a return to a culture where people are broadly um, in the building, um, wherever that building might be. And uh, The Australian has covered uh, the topic as well today. Yeah, that's right. Now, this is um, this, the, 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 this is an interesting one because it's about the wider business sector. And in fact, I think the, the journalists and financial services reporters are probably from, you know, the banking world. But um, uh, this journalist is Eric Johnson. Now, he, make, he makes the point that um, maybe the battle is being lost at the moment. Um, talks about one high-profile investment bank, which has just got one day a week where they don't allow Zoom meetings. So staff come into the office that day so they can actually talk to each other because they're scared of missing out. But um, others, you know, talks about, you know, one organisation where um, staff is running about 15%, one five, 15% capacity, sometimes maybe 18% in terms of how many staff are in on any given day. So it, it, that certainly suggests in Australian business, we are a long way from having most people at their desks most days. What do you think? Uh, look, I think I agree with you that most offices that I walk into today for meetings are at a very low ratio of people in the office. But I also think it's too, uh, I think it's too short-sighted to potentially just put a blanket over it and say everyone needs to be back in the office uh, full-time. There's so many ins and outs with this because, again, I agree with the fact that younger professionals especially can benefit substantially from being around uh, colleagues with significantly more experience. But now let's throw into the fact that uh, we're apparently, you know, nearing the peak of our fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever wave of uh, coronavirus that uh, we're at. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be getting any easier. So I think this is one of those arguments uh, that's going to go on for quite some time with a few uh, companies, as we've sort of heard from now, uh, who have harder line stances uh, than others. But uh, I'll be fascinated to see how this plays out, particularly at the big end of town, because that's where one size almost has to fit a whole lot more people then if you've got a, a small business and you can individually talk to each and every one of your employees. But uh, do you expect to see more uh, fully uh, staffed uh, offices when you visit uh, ad agencies, Tim? 
that's the funny thing. You know, I, I, I don't know where we're going to land with the culture yet. You know, I find on my trips to Sydney, I still ask myself, is it even worth coming in on a Monday or a Friday? Will there be anyone around? Um, so it's, it, you know, it's kind of bad for the industry, I think, for the, the, the points you make on developing the next generation. But equally, there are plenty of people who do not want to work in an office. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I, I just couldn't agree more with the the younger people, especially, and it's something that I think is quite close to to our hearts in terms of journalists, especially because you do learn so much when you are around the more uh, middle to senior. You know, whether it's dep eds or editors, etc., and how they interview and and how they carry out their business and how they hit deadlines and and ideate it, etc. But uh, really uh, interesting sort of area that's going to play out quite quickly. Well, that is it for today. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And if you didn't get enough about MarTech today, I'll be back tomorrow with Choose Data tackling some more fascinating numbers around MarTech. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.